Good morning, church. How are we all doing? Good. We're a church that wants to make it fun. We believe that church is not just here to be endured. It's actually here to be enjoyed. Come on, when you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's a joy that comes from that. And we want to express that. And so we get to do that. And so we're in week three of our Make It Fun series. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Come on, let's pray quickly. Heavenly Father, we just thank You, Lord, uh, that You've made today possible. I always thank Father God that today was no accident that before the foundations of the earth were laid, that You had already called this Heritage Day into play, Father God. And I pray for the hearts that are sitting here today, Father God, that You've already, you've, You're wanting them to receive this message today, Father God, and You've already started a work in their hearts. I pray that You bring down any walls, Father God, any distractions now, Lord. Silence their hearts so that as the Word goes in, it'll take root and achieve what You have set it out to do. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Why don't you half five two people and say, you are looking so sexy this morning. It is so good to be in church this morning. It's such a privilege to stand here, to get to to prepare a message and then uh, share it with you. I love God's Word. If any of you uh, have ever met me, you'll know that. And uh, today's going to be amazing because we're going to do something different. Uh, We've got nothing on the screen. So even as you worship today, you worshiped out of your heart to God. We weren't worshiping because of a screen was telling us what to do and prompt us. We were worshiping from what came from within inside of us. So I encourage you, if you've got a Bible on your phone, why don't you take that out today? If you've got your Bibles with you, why don't you pull it out today? If you've got your tablets, because we won't have the Scriptures up on the screen today. And I really would love you to to really receive everything out of this meal that you can. And so I encourage you, if there was a day you're going to take notes, let it be today. If you're going to read, read along with us. 2 Corinthians, in chapter 4, verses 16, Paul actually says this fascinating piece of Scripture because it's so relevant to making it fun. You see, for some of us, fun is happiness. But Paul talks about something different. He says here, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we waste away, yet inwardly we are renewed day by day. And what he's talking about here is that there are two dynamics to your life. There's an outward dynamic and there's an inward dynamic. You see, Paul understands that um, there's something better than just happiness. You see, happiness is like an outward dynamic. It's like a helium balloon. How many of you have ever been to a party where they've got these helium balloons? And if it's, if it's your birthday, they've celebrated it with these helium balloons. And, and they leave the house and all these balloons are floating around your house. They kind of look awkward. You know, like, the party's done. But the next day you come home and what do you, where do you find the balloon? On the floor. It deflates, it, you, it loses that outward. And so happiness can be like that sometimes. It can be the celebration, this outward experience, but it doesn't always stay around forever. So Paul says there's something more important that you need to have, and that's joy. You see, joy is about getting the fruit of joy. It comes from the root of Christ. And it's understanding that through the gratefulness of the grace of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we can celebrate in all seasons. There's not a season that you can walk around without feeling this joy. And so today I want to talk about joy to you guys. In 2010, a fitness editor, Ellen Latham, designed a workout routine. It was a 60-minute workout routine. How many of you love working out, yeah? Okay, 60-minute workout routine. 
And this workout routine's focus was to build endurance, it was to build strength, and it was to build power. It was an intense workout that she put together, and she named it the Orange Effect. Some of you are looking at me going, what's the Orange Effect? Come on. Well, the Orange Effect is a heightened exercise that burns enough calories that you still continue to burn the calories 36 hours after you've done the exercise. It's an exercise that continues to burn calories. And so she puts this together, names it the Orange Theory Effect, and opens up 1,200 branches of these gyms around the world, from Japan to Europe to America. This Orange Theory Effect is starting to take place. Today, I don't want to talk about the Orange Theory Effect. I want to talk about Joy Effect. I want to talk about your fitness in joy. You see, joy is something that we cultivate. Enjoy something that we need to work at. And so today, the title of this morning's message is Joy Fitness. It's time to get fit. Look at the person next to you and say, it's time to get fit. Because what the apostle Paul teaches us, he gives us a workout for joy. In Philippians chapter 1 is where I'm going to have most of today. So if you are turning with me, go to Philippians chapter 1. Paul gives us this workout that continues after the workout to continue to bring joy way longer than 36 hours after its effect. When we receive this workout, you see, he gives us this workout that needs to be cultivated and created within us. And that, that we, if we practice it, we create this joy. Here's the thing I need you to understand, that God gives us salvation and joy on the one hand. And on the other hand, he gives us a responsibility to tend to it and cultivate it. I think this is true for every Christian life, that if God gives you a fervency, a passion for his work, he expects you to tend to it and cultivate it. And so whenever the Lord is at work, for example, amongst his people, we can see this thing called supernatural unity. How many of you remember the World Cup, last year, the last World Cup where we won the World Cup? What South Africa looked like? There was no boundaries. It ripped it apart. There was this supernatural unity. That same unity that it talks about in Ephesians 4, 3, where it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You see, where God starts unity and it comes from him, it's our job to tend to it and cultivate it. South Africans, I want to let you know, if you want to receive unity in our country, it's your job to tend to it and cultivate it. Not to just expect it to happen, but to play a part in it, to work it out. And it's the same when we see that when God starts joy in our lives, it's our job to tend to it and cultivate it. Today, I want to talk to you about a joy workout that Paul talks through in Philippians. And I hope that through this joy workout, it's going to strengthen and stretch you, that you'll have more of an endurance, that you'll have more of a strength and more of a power in every situation that you face. Why is joy workout so important? Well, we sang it earlier, Nehemiah 8.10 says, for the joy of the Lord is my strength. And if you want to be a strong Christian, you need to be a joyful Christian. Hey, come on. I mean, I'm not talking about options here. I'm talking about essentials. You see, joy is not a luxury. It's actually a necessity to our lives. You and I need the strength of the Lord and the power of His might, and it comes through the joy. Our testimony is increased or diminished based on the level of joy that we carry in our lives. 
The saddest advertisement for a Christian is a grumpy Christian. Oh, I love God. Did my devotion this morning. It's great. Thank you, Lord. How many of you have been driving in the car while you listen to worship and a taxi cuts you off? <laughs> hey? How many of you have ever tried to sing Jesus loves me, yes or no, in the grumpy face? It just doesn't work out. You see, when we're supposed to worship God, it's about Jesus loves me. Now try, Jesus loves me. It doesn't work. Because there's a natural joy that comes from Jesus Christ that, that starts to overflow in our lives. And so it's important that we have the right mood. Any of you ever woken up in the morning with a bad mood? Hey? Come on, like you wake up in the morning, you just go like, I don't know what's wrong, but I am in one bad mood right now. Hey, my kids stay out of my way because I just turn into this Germanic autocratic, like we will be there on time, we'll do, 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 everything. And they're like, geez, there's no joy in this. That was this week. <laughs> this week, I want to tell you something. If you're ever going to preach a sermon on joy, <laughs> the enemy <laughs> will throw that stuff at you. You see, what I learned this week was not an ability to actually preach joy, but to actually practice it. This is the fourth sermon I've written this week. And every time I write a sermon, God's going, no, because you're just writing it out of your head. You're not writing it out of your heart. I need you to get the revelation of joy. And so I understood that what we've got to do is we've got to put some things into practice. We need to turn to the person next to you and say, you need a workout. You need a workout. Come on, why don't you say it with conviction? Turn to the person on the other side and say, I can see you work out. I can see your, I can see you work out. So today, if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you a workout, a wad. The CrossFits, they call it a wad, a workout for the day. You see, a lot of us wake up in the morning and some of us will even go and do exercise. But how many of us wake up and exercise the joy that Christ has for us? We all know that as we exercise, we become stronger. So why don't we put an exercise together and there's gonna be six exercises I'm gonna be talking about today. And I just wanna kick off Philippians chapter one, verses 18. I love how it starts. It says, it says, but what does it matter? What a weird way for the apostle Paul to open up a piece of scripture. What does it matter? You see, what Paul is actually talking about as he opens the scripture is that many people got jealous of him. There was envy of him. He's sitting in prison and he's preaching and everybody's criticizing Paul. Have you ever been in that situation? Somebody's jealous of you or envies you or criticizes you and all it does is it pulls you down. Well, the apostle Paul says, what does it matter? To him, he, apostle Paul actually goes and says, so What? Why am I telling you this? Because I want to give you a piece of information that will release you to have joy. Don't be a Christian that's easily offended. Don't be a Christian that's easily offended. Paul, got, Paul understood this. He said, if I'm going to experience this joy, the first thing I need to drop is offense. And a lot of us are walking around very angry with people that give them rent in our head and we're losing the, the possibility of having joy in so many areas that God has already called for us. We need to stop being Christians that are so easily offended. And I guarantee you, it will help. He goes on to say, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached. And because of that, I rejoice. And he goes on to say this end of the scripture, he goes, yes, and again, I say, I'll continue to rejoice. You see, Paul understood that his joy 
was not in that fence or trying to figure out or make himself look better than anyone. His joy came from Christ. And he's saying, no matter what that person's doing, I'm praying for them anyway. It doesn't matter because the joy of the Lord is my strength. And today, as you do these exercises, I wanna let you know that the joy of the Lord needs to be your strength. So number one, joy comes when we remember it's God who is at work in our lives. And he's saying, Dita, that's obvious. That's an obvious thing. But my question is, how many times do you practice it? You see, joy comes when I remember that I'm not alone, that God has not left me as a drift piece of wood on the ocean to take care of things myself. You see, but when we know that God is at work in our lives, we embrace the fact that somebody more powerful is at work in me. And it brings me joy. It lets me know that as I walk through this life, I'm not alone. Even if I am lonely, I'm not alone because I have Christ that is at work in me. <laughs> Philippians 1.19 says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, and I'll explain what, that, what Paul's talking about there now in a minute, will turn out for my deliverance. I love the way he opens, for I know. The Hebrew context, I'm not gonna give you the word, but what that word meant is not like I know about. Paul is saying, I have this, I have this absolute conviction that I know Christ is at work in here. I have this absolute conviction that based on my experiences, he is at work. I have this absolute conviction that I can even perceive that if God said he's gonna do it, he's gonna do it. I know that I know that I know that God is at work in me. Come on church, that's what we need to do. If we want joy, you gotta know who's at work in you. He says, what has happened to me? I, wanna, I don't wanna downplay your situation, but just a quick snap. Paul's dream was to preach the gospel in Rome and to go to Caesar and preach the gospel to him too. But his journey to Rome was not an easy one. He was beaten. He, they say that he was beaten the same way Christ was beaten. That even on a, a ship called Alexandrian with 272 other people, they set out for Rome and they get into a storm and the storm sinks the ship. Paul gets stuck on a piece of floating wreck for one day and one whole, one whole day and one whole night, floating around the ocean wondering, where is this? What was Paul thinking in that moment? Well, I know that I know that I know that God is at work. All of a sudden, Paul gets to the shore, which is the Malta, the Malta Island, and gets to the shore and crawls his way up onto the shore. And guess what happens? It starts to rain. How many of you have ever been in that moment? He's like, seriously, Lord. Like, it starts to rain, but it says that there was an unusual kindness from the Maltese people, which were the local people. The Greeks believed they were like barbarians. So they were confused that these people showed them kindness. And so what they do is they build a bonfire. Paul's like, thank you, Lord, you came through again. As Paul picks up a piece of wood to throw it on the bonfire, a viper comes out and, and it says it attaches itself to his hand. Now there's a difference between bitten by a snake and the thing still hanging off your hand. The Bible says that it was still hanging off his hand that he had to flick it off into the fire. I mean, he's having a great day. <laughs> and as he's standing there, the Maltese people are watching him now and saying the locals are going, let's watch him die. 
We know that viper, he's going to die. He doesn't die and they then go, he must be something from a godly, like how is it that he hasn't died? And so they take him to the leader of the village. And as they get to the leader of the village, they find out that this leader has a gastrical disease and Paul just prays for him. See, they don't need faith in me. They need faith in Jesus. Praise for them. God gets healed. Praise for the whole village. They get healed. I want to tell you something. Something that started out by an unusual kindness about building a bonfire actually was the result of them being provided for by this village for the three months they were stranded there. I don't know about you, but have you ever been in this situation where things didn't go the way you hoped they would? But when you look back, you say, God was at work in that situation. God could turn all things for the good of those who are loved and called by Him. And I want to remind you that when you know who's at work in you, you work differently. There's a joy that rises in you. And Dieter, stop preaching when you get going. Paul had a confidence. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this, that he who began the good work in me will carry it to completion. In Jesus' name. For it is a God that is at work in you for good purpose. I want to let you know the Bible tells us that God directs our steps. I don't know what you're going through, but I want to let you know, if you're in that situation and you're going like, God, I just don't know where to go from here. Like, God, I'm stuck. Just take a step because it's God who directs the steps of man. And when you understand who's in you, you're able to keep stepping no matter what. You don't have to give up. You just got to keep moving. Keep trusting God. And there's a joy in it. You see, for God's handiwork was created in Christ Jesus for good works, which Christ prepared for you in advance. You had a plan in advance. God's not done with you. If you're breathing today, God's not done with you. He's only getting started with you. It's time to keep moving, keep stepping. God did not only will your salvation, He willed your creation. Remember that. Joy comes when we remember that God's at work in us. Number two, joy comes when we believe God's answer to prayer. How many of you have prayed and thought, is this worth it? I've tried this before. Don't know if it's going to do anything, but I'm going to pray anyway. I mean, if you're honest with yourself, I think everyone has been, been in that position at some point. You're wondering if your prayers are actually falling on deaf ears, if God really cares. What I love is in Philippians chapter 19, Paul says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ who has happened uh, who has happened to me will turn things out for my deliverance. You see, Paul understood the value in prayer. He understood the value in prayer for praying for himself, but he also understood the value of prayer of having other people pray for you. So many times we'll pray for ourselves. I think we, that's an easy step. We go like, God, I'm going to trust you and pray for myself. But how many times do we ask for prayer? You know our biggest step of pride, the obstacle we need to remove? Go and ask people for prayer. When Jesus taught the prayer, didn't he say, our Father? He didn't say, my Father. Give us our daily bread. We need to become a church that is a community of praying for each other. Understanding the importance of you praying for yourself, but also under the importance of asking other people to pray for you. See, while Paul is sitting in prison in Rome, he's asking the church in Philippi, Philippi, yeah, that's just down the road here. Um, Philippians, 
to pray for him. And I encourage you, start to invite people in. You know why? Because when you know who's at work in you, you know that there's a strength. But you know when people are praying for you that there's another strength. There's a joy that comes when I know I'm not alone. The third thing, joy comes when we allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. Paul said there, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead me to my deliverance. You see, the Holy Spirit equips you for what you're going through. All of you are going through something today, whether you're coming out of something, going into something, or still uh, going into something else. The Holy Spirit has already equipped you. Christ has not left you alone. He's left you an advocate, a paraclete, another one, a him who's part of the Trinity, the power. The Greeks call it the dunamis. It's it's the, the short word for dynamite. It's powerful, and it's at work in you. When you understand that who God works in you, when you understand that your church is praying with you, and when you understand that you're not alone and the Holy Spirit guides you, there's a joy that changes the way your outlook is to life. And so every day we should wake up and say, good morning, Holy Spirit. Galatians, 5, chapter, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces all kinds of fruits in our lives, Right? Produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And there is no law against these things. How many of you woken up and you just got no joy? Maybe you haven't checked in with the Holy Spirit today. Maybe you've woke up and you just think that you're lacking in kindness. Don't worry, because Christ produces that in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you, you, you've realized that, Lord, give me patience with my kids. And you've said that prayer. I want to let you know that the Holy Spirit is the one that provides the patience for you. God doesn't only just tell you what He's going to do. He produces and equips things inside of you. There's a joy when you know that, when you practice that in your life. So when you know that God's there and at work in you and you know that people are praying for you and that God equips you, it brings a different level of joy. Could I have the worship team up, please? Point four, joy comes when we trust that God will not disappoint us. Oh, that's a big one. Joy comes when we trust that God is not gonna disappoint us. Do you know that so many people, so many of us have this, this mentality that says, what if he doesn't? Chris was talking about tithing. It's the biggest privilege in my life. And this isn't my play for you. I just know that my life changed when I put God first in every area of my life. And so when I started to tithe and be generous and sow into the kingdom, God has unlocked things that is supernaturally, it's impossible in the natural, but only unlocked it in the supernatural because of His glory. But I had those moments before then that I used to go, but if I give this to God... (laughs) What if he doesn't? Where am I going to be then? We need to be Christians that actually say, I can't wait to see what God's going to do with this. Not Christians that go, I'm not going to do this. Go, I'm going to do this in faith and I can't wait to see what God's going to do with this. You know, if we've got a vision for our country, I believe that our country is going to be saved in Jesus' name. Every school, every university, we are going to claim out and cry out the name of Jesus. There's a revival starting in Cape Town that's going to spread through South Africa. And I've got a vision for it. I will not wake up and say that this government is going to destroy this country. I will not wake up and go that this corruption, I won't give that any rent in my head. Because the Word of God says that He can do all things through those who, who He purposed for it. So I trust 
that the Word of God says God's going to do it, then I believe it. And here's the thing is, a lot of us need to trust that God will not disappoint you. The Bible's definition of hope is anticipating God's goodness in our lives. It's anticipating. It doesn't look like it's right now, but it's going to be right. That's how Paul did it. Paul said it doesn't look right now, but God's still going to come through. God's still faithful. He's done it before. He will do it again. Listen, if you are not sure that God is going to ever come through for you, you're going to diminish the joy in your life that God's intended for you. Base your vision and your eager expectation as Paul did on what God's promises are. Psalms 25, three says, no one who hopes in you, God, will ever be put to shame. Isaiah 49, 23 says, those who hope in me, this is God speaking, those who hope in me, they won't be disappointed. I believe that and I live that. Number five comes when we put Jesus first in our lives. Every day, wake up and practice that exercise. Put Jesus first. You know, the 1500s, I was reading an article the other day. Uh, the 1500s, they actually believed that the earth was the center of the universe. Now, I don't want to get into flat earthers and this in this room. But they believed that the earth, everything revolved around the earth until a guy called Nicholas Copernicus came along and he actually worked out that the planets in our solar system rotate around the sun. And we realized we weren't the center of the universe. Sometimes we wake up in the morning and we're orbiting around our own lives. God, what do I need to do this? God, my problem. God, my finance. God, my marriage. God, and all we do is we orbit around ourselves. Just like Nicholas Copernicus pointed out, we don't orbit around ourselves. We orbit around Christ. It's Christ that we should wake up every day and say, God, I want to put you at the center of my universe. I want to orbit around you. So today I start my day with you. There's a joy when you understand that Christ loves you and that He died for you. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain, Paul said. He said, it is Christ or nothing. I wanna ask you this question. If I asked you that piece of scripture and I said, for me to live is? But what's your real answer when you wake up in the morning? For me to live is? Finances. For me to live is? Gotta get there on time. For me to live is, I didn't do that thing that I was supposed to do. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. We've got to put Jesus first in everything that we do. Some of us go, but Jesus, I do have Christ. So for me to live is Christ plus. Christ plus my family. Christ plus my wealth. Christ plus, uh -uh. Paul says, when you understand your relationship of putting Christ first, the overflow of that will bless everything around you. But we got to get the priority straight. <laughs> Lastly, and here's just a statement. I think I'll read it. What you live for determines the level of your joy. If you wake up living for the fact that this country's gone to the dogs, it'll determine the level of your joy. You decide that. You choose that. But when you wake up recognizing who's in control, you'll know whose you are and you'll know what to do. And you'll know there's always a hope. There's always a way to step. There's always a way to change things. Lastly, joy comes when we put others first. When we put Christ first, 
Last command. Jesus says, one last command that I give you. Love God, love others. It's when you serve people. It's when you wake up in the morning, God, will you show me how to serve somebody today for your glory? And Paul did that all the time. He said, you know, I, I actually wish that I could go to Jesus. I would love to go to Jesus. But I know as long as I'm here, I'm not done and He needs to use me for something. I want to let you know, as long as you are here, you're not done and God needs to use you to reach somebody, to serve somebody. And we need to be a church that serves beyond ourselves. A church that is in, in every way, the same way as Jesus was in Matthew 20, 28, where He said, even though He was the Son of God, He sat on a throne, He had high level of royalty. He came to earth not to be served, but to serve. We need to live with servant hearts. And I want to ask you in your exercise, who are you serving today? So in summary, remember that God's at work in you and practice that every day. Remember that He answers your prayers and just believe that in hope and faith that the Holy Spirit will strengthen you, that God will not disappoint you. He will bring to fruition what He's gonna do, that joy comes when we put Jesus first and that we need to serve others. Come on, let's have that exercise. Let's practice that. Let that be our workout when we wake up every day as joy stimulates. Can we?